0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence, a real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right. Welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Rick Morton along with Phil Dark. Excited for another day to come talk to you a little bit about orphan and vulnerable children and some of the things that are happening in the world today. Phil, how are you today, buddy?
1: I'm doing real well, and I'm doing even better because I have no doubt that we're going to have a great conversation today with our guest, and I know you've been excited about this guest as well, yeah?
0: Absolutely, man. This is, uh, this is one of those that I have uh, been anticipating since the season started, and uh, just really, really excited about, uh, about this author and this book and just her experiences, and, and so really uh, excited to get into the conversation.
1: So without any more, because uh, Rick and I, you know, we could, as you know, folks, we could talk on and on, and we can laugh, and we could talk about all kinds of different things right now, which we won't get into, because we want to get right to our guest, who's Lisa Qualls. And uh, Lisa has been writing a blog for a few years called One Thankful Mom. She is a mom of a lot of kids, um, just kind of like Rick and I have a lot of kids as well, but she has more than us. She might have more than us combined, but... Um, you know, she wrote a book also with uh, the one and only Karen Purvis, and it's called "The Connected Parent: Real Life Strategies for Building Trust and Attachment." We're gonna have the pleasure of being able to talk with her about that in a couple minutes. But before we get into the interview, I want to make sure that you, um, you know, remember to uh, join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Think Orphan Facebook group. You can have deeper conversations with us. You can get uh, sneak peeks at some different things and get opportunities maybe to get some different uh, things that our guests have offered like Robert Glover did um, in his interview. Also, uh, make sure to rate, review the show, and uh, subscribe, you know, it's just, uh, and to share it with whoever you think will be able to, uh, you know, benefit from this show, which, you know, really is anybody, as you know, if you're listening. So with those things, I just, I just. Thank you for being a part of the show. Thank you for downloading this. Thank you for engaging this conversation, which is really making a difference in the lives of orphan and vulnerable children around the world. And for that, we are grateful and we are excited to see how you are using this. So let us know some of those ways that uh, you know, God is using this podcast in your life to help you to love the orphan and the vulnerable in your midst better and better. So with that, let's get to this interview where we're going to learn some more of those things to help us to love the children better. So without any more from me and Rick, here's Lisa. Lisa Qualls, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, both Rick and I are so excited. You know, as we talked a little bit beforehand, uh, we've been looking forward to this uh, interview for a really, really long time and uh, very blessed to have the book that you and uh, Karen were able to write together. And we're going to get a chance to talk a little bit about it. So uh, the first thing that we ask most, I guess, is actually usually one of the favorite responses that I get every time because I love story. But can you just briefly share your story and your passion for orphan and vulnerable children and, and how you ended up writing a book with Karen Purvis?
2: Well, that is actually a very big question. So I'll try to condense it down. Um, <laughs> you know, I always had a very um, empathetic heart. I was always really interested in caring for children. When I was in college, I worked at a group home for kids who – Needed a higher level of care than regular foster care could provide. So that was always something that I was interested in. And actually, I am a former foster youth. Mm. And so I thought that at some time in my life, I would want to do for someone what had been done for me and maybe foster. But we went on to have a large family by birth. And I was very busy with all of my children, homeschooling and everything. And then in 2006, some friends of ours called to tell us that they were adopting two little boys from Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And I remember that conversation so well because I feel like God moved on my heart, you know, and just something sort of broke open in me. And I thought, maybe this is something that we should do do. Maybe, you know, we need to learn about this. And so, of course, we started reading, we started learning, we started talking to people and praying a lot. And we decided to adopt as well. And we decided to adopt from Ethiopia. And that changed our lives completely forever. We started out uh, with a plan of adopting two little boys younger than our youngest daughter, We were also sponsoring a little girl at an orphanage uh, where all of the children were living with HIV. We found out that her orphanage was hoping that we would adopt her as well, which completely uh, stunned us. We had no idea anybody was thinking that. And, you know, in 2006, we really did not know very much about HIV. We had a lot to learn, Uh but we were... I would say it was one of the more powerful experiences of my life of being compelled by the Holy Spirit. And we really believed that we were meant to adopt her as well. So we decided to adopt her. So in 2007, we traveled to Ethiopia to meet our children and bring them home. And we met another little girl while we were there and brought her home the following year. And so really in a very short time, we adopted four unrelated children through two different agencies. So it was very complex, but it was, it was good. It was what we were meant to do. And there's a lot to the story of how I ended up writing the book with Dr. Purvis, but really the reason I even found Dr. Purvis is because we were very quickly plunged into the deep with Mm -hmm. our children. You know, one of our kids in particular had experienced just such extreme adversity and her, behaviors were very very difficult and because i had begun writing a blog i started blogging before we brought our kids home so in 2006 i started writing a blog and you know for a long time i did not share the hard you know because at that point i think in the church we were all like everybody should adopt you know and i didn't want just because we were having a difficult time i didn't want to discourage anybody okay. but when i finally started to get a little bit honest people just became, you know, flooding forward. Yes, we're struggling. We need help. And through a lot of writing, one of my readers actually introduced me to Dr. Purvis and the connected child. So that is how I found her.
1: Yeah, that's great. And and so you found Karen Mm -hmm. and Dr. Purvis. Um and you were just blown away by her work, I'm assuming, because we all are. And you know, and and so then but that doesn't but most people that are blown away by Dr. Purpose's work don't end up on a book cover (laughs) with her though. So I'm just you know, so how did that there's probably a little bit more to the story than it just happened, right? So well, this
2: is true. This is true. I wasn't sure how how much you wanted me to go. I
1: want to hear it. I want to hear it. Okay. If I want to hear yeah. it, I think others want to hear it too. So uh, what do you okay. think, Rick? You want to hear it?
0: Absolutely. Okay. Yeah.
2: Well, I will tell you. So this blog of mine, when I read the connected child, I began learning all of this stuff, and I'm I'm a person who, if I am going to suffer something. Or if I'm going to learn something, I want to share it with other people, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I began writing about everything I was learning. Like I would write a blog post about the ideal response and a blog post about <laughs> scripts. And I just mentioned her over and over. And I mentioned the book over and over because the book was actually still quite new. Yeah. The book, I think, was published in 2007, maybe. I think that's right. And so I was just writing what I was learning and writing and writing And then I had an opportunity to go to a CAFO conference and Dr. Purvis and Michael Monroe were speaking, Michael and Amy, you know, and Dr. Purvis founded Empowered to Connect. And after they gave a talk, I went up to talk to Michael and we're chatting. And he said, wait a minute. And I must've said something about having a blog. He said, wait a minute, what's your name? And I told him, he said, we've been following you, we've been wondering (laughs) who you are, you know, because they were seeing all my posts. So through that, I began writing for them for Empowered to Connect. And I wrote a number, quite a number of posts for them. Mm. And as we got to know each other more, um, they invited me to begin speaking with them. And so there was a season where I was speaking at the Empowered to Connect conferences, mostly as my experience as a parent and learning all of these new things about connected parenting, trust-based parenting. And so I spoke with him for a time and it was during that time that I got to know Dr. Purvis and I was able to tell her my idea for this book Mm -hmm. and she thought it was a great idea. And that was the beginning. And that was probably in 2011.
1: Yeah, wow. That that's that's really cool. And that's what I love I mean that that's what's so great folks. I mean, I think in in Rick and I have both written books and we know that it's kind of funny and you probably know this as well now cuz you you've written a book and you've written it with Dr. Purse, but people think that authors are not really approachable. And you know, and they're like, "Oh, they're an author or they're this or they're that," right? And the reality is that You know, most, anyway, the ones you want to work with, the ones that you actually want to hang out with are very approachable. And and it's, it's, people put, you know, we like, we have a celebrity culture and people put people on pedestals and it's kind of ridiculous. And Rick and I talk about that all the time. Not kind of, it's totally Mm -hmm. ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But that's, what's so awesome about this is Karen, who, you know, Dr. Purvis, who wrote this amazing book, that's probably the bestseller of all adoption or foster care books ever written is one of the most, was one of the most approachable yes. people you'll ever meet. Just an amazing woman. I just remember the conversations that I had with her over the years at KFO, and just what an amazing, um, just a model servant leader for us. And uh, so, and you know that as well with your nodding, I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the book is so special too. And folks, if you haven't grabbed it out there, grab it, The Connected Parent. If you're listening to this, it's something you need to, you need to check out because, and, and even if you don't, parent children from hard places, you know, people who do. And so I think it's so helpful to be able to, to see this. And, and one of the things that I love about the book, and I talk about this all the time on the show, I talk about this with anybody who will listen really, is the need to bridge theory and practice. And this book is such a blend of that. It's a blend of the theory practice gap, or I mean, it bridges that theory practice Mm -hmm. gap really. So can you discuss that aspect of the book and why you thought it was so important to have a solid dose of both?
2: Yes, you know, I am very, very thankful for all the experts. I have learned so much and their books fill my shelves. Mm -hmm. But when we were in hard, hard moments, I can literally remember a time where I was kneeling in front of my bookcase while my daughter was screaming and out of control. And I'm pulling the books off, trying to find the right one, the one that's going to have an answer for me, Mm -hmm. you know? And what I found with a lot of the books that I read was that they were written by people who are not living my life. And I have so much respect for all of them because they've brought something that I can't. But I wanted to know, what does it really, really look like? Like, what does, it, what does a redo really look like when your child is struggling? And what what actually happens if you say to your kid, try that again with respect? Like, Like, I wanted to know, how do you really do it? And how do you really do it? When you have a bunch of kids with a bunch of needs, you know, it's not like I had one child that I could just laser focus on that one child and apply everything I was learning. I had all of these children who had needs and I had dinner to cook and homeschooling to do. And so I wanted to know how it really, really worked, but I didn't know anybody that I could ask because I think we were all learning this a lot at the same time. You know, it was all new. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could take my life as a real mom who messes up all the time. This morning, I had to have a redo of my own with my son because I, missed <laughs> it. I didn't handle something well. And uh, so I needed the redo. So what would it be like to take that, the real life, and combine it with really the brilliance mm-hmm. and the giftedness of Dr. Purvis mm-hmm. and put it side by side. And so, you know, the way we wrote the book, is every single chapter starts with stories about my family and then we get the information from Dr. Purvis and then we close with another story. And so I think it, it really brings it all together for people to see what it really looks like in a family.
1: Absolutely. I felt like I was in your house. I mean, yeah. I, I was like, you know, I, I feel like I could come hang out and know you guys, yeah. which, is, which is so cool. And what, what's so cool, and I talk about this this as well all the time, and Rick's heard it over and over, you know, and people who have listened to the show know this, that, you know, I, I have not adopted. I have never fostered, but I can tell you that these principles also apply in my home, too. Right. Yeah. And I, I talked to my wife, I'm like, did you have a difficult pregnancy with you know a certain child? I'm not gonna name names. Mm-hmm. And because I mean, you were saying things that, you know, when you have a difficult these these things manifest and they come oh. out. And and I, I see these things and, and I I'd, I'd imagine that you probably see it in, in your adopted children and your biological children <laughs> the same. Am I right there?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, when we really learned TBRI, we were extremely fortunate because Russ and I both were able to go to TCU and do the TBRI training together. And I just remember looking at each other and thinking, wow, we wish we'd parented all of our kids this mm. way, yeah. you know, mm. because there's just something so beautiful about it, about really connecting deeply with your child's heart and building trust and attachment. And yeah, I, I think it applies to everyone. And honestly, even my children, they apply it to their friends, yeah. you know, like we talked about looking beyond the behaviors and things. And my kids are really pretty perceptive because they've learned so much. Yeah.
1: And that's one of the things that I could I could tell just from reading, just from, you know, or in my case, as you know, folks, I say reading, you know, I mean listening to the book, which was actually great in this instance because Lisa does read the book. And I love it when authors read the book because you hear the intonations, you hear what they really meant when they were writing and takes it the words off the page. But um, one of the things that you talk about, and, and it's, it's so critical and I love, is you talk about the concept of being a detective. And you really kind of just got into it there. Too. It's, you know, why is it, what is that concept, being a detective as a parent, and why is it so important in our parenting of our children?
2: I think most of us, well, many of us in the church have been taught to parent our children based on looking at their behavior Mm -hmm. and managing their behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, definitely in the tradition we came from. You wanted your children, I mean, first-time obedience, perfectly respectful, you know. And, and it was really important to me, sadly, that my children not only looked good themselves, but they made me look kind of good. Like, I looked like a good mom, you know. But what I began to learn is that behavior, what we can see on the outside, is really just a small reflection of what's really going in going on inside our children and that we have to look at that behavior but then we have to look beyond that behavior Mm -hmm. and figure out what is the real need here what is it that my child is expressing to me i tell parents you know our children are always speaking to us and sometimes they use words but a lot Mm -hmm. of times they're using their behavior to show us something and they won't even necessarily know what their real need is they may know they feel mad but they may not even realize where where is that mad feeling coming from so we have to get really good i think at being curious about our children and being curious about their behaviors and i could share a little story with you if you'd like that'd be, about That'd be great okay mm-hmm. a moment with my daughter she was probably about I'd say maybe nine or so, and it was Christmas time, and some really dear friends like family had invited her to go to a Christmas performance with them. And I thought she'd be really excited about it. But the, as the evening, as the time was approaching, you know, we put on her pretty dress. So she didn't like the dress, and we, you know, got all, we were getting ready, and she was just getting really argumentative, and really, every, all of her movements were getting really, really quick. And I mm-hmm. thought, wow, what is going on? And I was finally able to realize that she was afraid. She was afraid of something. I didn't know what it was, but I could tell there was some fear driving this kind of frantic behavior. And finally I was able to pull her close and say, you know, tell me what you need. And she said, will there be food there? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, no, it's a concert. There won't be food. Do you need food with you? And she said, yes. Mm-hmm. And she had been through such severe um, mm-hmm. food scarcity and malnutrition. And so we got a little bag out and I packed snacks for her to take to this <laughs> concert, you know, because what would have been easy to to think and say is something like, you know, you are really not behaving well. I'm not sure you can really handle going to this concert. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you're, you're really a big enough girl to go out in the evening for this. You know, like I could have gone down that road of looking at that behavior and maybe even shaming her a little bit. Yeah. Mm. The truth was that behavior was really about her fear of hunger.
0: Mm. Yeah, that is so That's good. awesome. Lisa, I have been so excited to have this conversation and, and for us to to dig into this. And I think it it's because of, um, one, because I, I think this book is something that a whole lot of us have hoped for for a long time and, mm-hmm. and have really felt like there's, you know, there's the need for for that. Um, you know, kind of bringing it down to the practical parenting level. But but one of the things I want to do is I, I just wanted to talk through a little bit with you because I, I, like Phil said, I think sometimes there are there are impressions of people who you know who write books and people who you know kind of are, are out there and and you know notable to people. Um, and and I think a you know a great part of of your story is the fact that it's but it's pretty conventional for somebody who, you know, kind of adopted along the time. And, you know, we, we brought our first child home in 2003. And, and so we kind of, were in that same, you know, in that same season of time when pre-adoptive education was a social worker handing you a few books and hoping you read them and, you know, and, and there just wasn't a lot to it. And, and so, and I think there, there are a lot of us and maybe there are still people that are out there today, depending on, you know, what their adoption experience looks like that, um, that, that you know maybe went into their adoption a little naive and 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 maybe stepped in thinking that the hard part was the home study and the you know the stuff to get to a child and and then you know they had that that experience like we all did of coming home and closing the door behind us, and all the social workers were you know were were out of our lives as much as they had been, and the trips were over, and all those kind of things were done and and, and now, we had to, now we had to be a family. And, and so I'd love for you just to kind of talk about that, about in that season, when, when you first brought your children home, you know, like practically, what were some of the challenges you faced? What was the, you know, what was the, what was the thing that, that you experienced during that time? And um, just kind of helping people relate a little bit to the, you know, to, to the place where you were.
2: Well, first of all, I think we went into this knowing it would be hard, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: but having really no idea of what that meant. And not only that, having no idea how long it was going Mm -hmm. to be. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, of course they're going to have a hard time. You know, of course it's going to take time for them to trust us. Of course it's going to take time for them to know that they're safe. The reality is for us that children who've experienced so much adversity and broken attachments, I -hmm. think sometimes it's a lifetime of healing. Mm -hmm. You know, I have kids who are young adults now, and we are still building trust and we're still making mistakes and having to forgive and reconnect and just keep going, building trust. But the hardest part for us was that our, our one daughter was just so aggressive and so volatile and mm. more extreme than a lot of families will experience. However, I meet many, many adoptive parents who are dealing with very difficult behaviors. Mm-hmm. And her behavior took so much attention and so much time that it was very hard to take care of the other children. You know, I yeah. have a 20-year um, age span among my kids. Wow. Yeah. And so I had been a mom a really long time. First of all, Mm -hmm. I'd been a mom for 20 years and I thought I was really good at it, but I will say that the experience of not knowing how to turn this ship around that we were, Mm -hmm. you know, we felt like all of a sudden our life had been on a certain path and now it was completely derailed and we did not know how to pull it back together. And we didn't know what to do when she was screaming and headbutting and scratching. I mean, it was really, really scary for us. And it took a while for me to admit to anybody how mm. bad it was. I didn't want mm. anybody to know, you sure. know, because I felt like such a terrible failure. I think we felt very ashamed.
0: Well, and, I, and I think there's a, I think there's a spiritual piece to that. I think there's a spiritual warfare piece to that. And mm. that, that in the, sometimes the church can be the most difficult environment for that because, because we, you know, we sometimes have gone through really public, you know, journeys to adoption. And and there's a, and and I think there's a a tendency to almost live behind a a facade, because we don't want to, we don't want to disappoint not only our church community, but people Mm -hmm. see it as letting God down, you know, like it, like there's a, like, like we've, like we've done something and, and we can't tell the truth now, because, because because somehow that's going to dishonor God when, when we talk about how difficult it is and the journey that we're on.
2: Well, and I didn't want to discourage anybody. You know, right. I didn't want anybody to be like, oh, that's looking really bad. Maybe we right. should stop." I mean, I really believed that the need was so great and there were so sure. many children who needed families. And so I didn't want to discourage anyone. And, you know, our church had come together. So many beautiful people donated money mm. to help mm-hmm. us bring our children mm-hmm. home. I didn't want to let them down. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want them to know that I was feeling like an utter failure, you know, and this went so deep to my core. i had always believed I was a good mom and I began to really doubt that I was who I thought I was, you know, I, it still chokes me up just talking about it. I remember writing a post years and 10, I don't know how many years ago, a long time ago titled, I used to be a good mom
0: because Mm -hmm. I felt
2: like a good mom. And then all of a sudden it was like, Mm -hmm. it was all pulled out from under me and i felt almost helpless and i felt afraid yeah. and we finally got to the point where we reached out for help and yeah. we were some of the fortunate people who actually found good help it is not easy mm-hmm. to find
0: and i was curious about that just to to kind of dig in a little more because i because yeah. i do think that's kind of common to the journey that you know that a lot of us have been on and and it's it's sort of hit or miss you know there are, there are those folks that that reach out and find you know, helpful resources. And then there are others that are in communities where those things are few and far between if they're there at all. And so your experience was that as you reached out, you, you kind of found some things that were, that were helpful. Is that, would that be the way you would?
2: Yes Um, and no. Yes and no. Well, we live in a smallish town, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got lots of professionals here and things, but we don't have a lot of specialists and things. We have to go a couple hours, but you know, at the point where I realized that we needed help, I just went for the big guns. I mm. called the University of Washington, which is about 300 miles away. And we <laughs> have an adoption medicine clinic, like I was not gonna mess around. Once yeah. I was I was like, yeah. okay, we're, we are falling apart in such a big way that we need serious help. So I called the adoption medicine clinic, I got an appointment, and I'll never forget taking my daughter. And the, the doctor, the specialist, was an adoptive mom. I mean, how beautiful is that? Mm-hmm. And my daughter was so challenging that the, the doctor came out to the children's play area in their waiting area to talk with me so that we wouldn't even have to deal with trying to bring her back mm-hmm. right away, you know? But I remember telling her, I don't know if I can go on, mm-hmm. but I don't want to miss what God is going to do in my daughter's life. Mm-hmm. And that doctor, she, she gave us hope she gave us medication. She gave us milk. We knew all the tests that yeah. needed to be done. Like she thought of things that a regular doctor wouldn't have thought of. And she gave us a referral to one of the best therapists in the country mm-hmm. who was also in mm-hmm. Seattle. It took a while. It took a while to get in, but sure. she, changed. she changed our lives.
0: Sure. And I, and I think, you know, I hope, I hope our listeners hear that as, as they're, you know, as they're, as they're processing that, um, you know, sometimes I think there is a there's a bit of a, a well. I could never get in and see those people. I could never interact with those people. I mean, even your story about Karen and yeah. you know, kind of the initial connection and and many times perceiving that those people are at a distance and they're not accessible to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing we've learned over the years is that that they they are in the places where they are doing the things that they do because they want to help and and they and they want to be accessible and we need to be persistent sometimes in order to you know get into the right places and 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 those are you know those are not easy things to do sometimes but um you know but incredibly incredibly worth it um you know you you talked a little bit about your church and and one thing i would i would put a plug in here for as well is i know the book is written to parents um this is a great book for churches to pick up as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, as, as we've kind of grown in this and, and grown through it over the years, I mean, one of the things that as a pastor, that's really kind of been a, a a passion piece of this for me is to say, you know, we've, we've called a generation of families out to foster and adopt. And, and we've seen, you know, we've seen God move in, in amazing ways in, you know, in bringing the the church to, to bear in, in the space but church is sometimes one of the hardest places to go and one of the hardest places to be because it, it just, there's so many, there's so many triggers. There's so many things that are, um, and, and it's just really hard to understand and, and to explain some of the things that we're trying to do in connected parenting and, you know, and, and those things. And so I would, I would say, and I just want to put a plug in to say, if you're out there and you're a church leader or a pastor, um, Lisa's book is, is full of stuff that is useful to your, the the people that are working and volunteering Mm -hmm. in your church and useful to families and useful to extended family. And, and, and some of it, it's, it's, it's good to be able to connect and hear why families are doing what they're doing. And so that you can begin to kind of learn the, you know, learn the ways that you can support them and, and sometimes not derail the things, you know, that are going on. Um, obviously you guys, and, and, and sometimes people get a little nervous when I, you know, when I use this terminology, but you, um, but, but being an adopted family, a a lot of times means being a blended family, right? Like you've, like you've got a, a, a biological family that you then are, you know, introducing kids to, and there's, you know, there's that, that need for, for blending and it changes the dynamics kind of for everybody. Um like, how did, how did your bio kids experience your adoption?
2: It's so interesting that you asked me that because I'm actually, my, my next book that I'm working on is about the sibling experience Mm -hmm. of, and it's not really just bio versus adopted. It's like, you've got this, this uh, crew of kids in your family, everything's kind of stable and then you bring in children with such severe needs. And so I have spent a lot of time talking with my kids and we actually have been able to speak together at some different events about what that experience was like for them. Honestly, their lives were entirely changed, Mm -hmm. entirely changed. The family that we were really was broken and we had to rebuild into a new family. And I, mm-hmm. I have to believe it's beautiful to the glory of God. It's a whole lot messier, a whole lot. Yeah. You know, we looked very neat and tidy before. I mean, we were normal, but, you know, it all looked pretty good. And then it looked like a train wreck. And so we really had to become a new family. And I think for my kids, one of my daughters once said, um, you know, my mom and dad wanted to help children who didn't have parents. And as a result, I lost mine. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. they felt like they lost us. I mean, mm-hmm. as thankful as I am for the therapy that we did with our daughter, we traveled every other weekend, 300 miles each way for therapy. And all that time we were away from all our other Ugh. kids, you mm-hmm. know, and just my attention, my energy, so much of it was focused on the kids with the biggest needs. And so our other kids got lost in the shuffle a lot, and we had to do a lot of repair work with them. But thankfully, they're really wonderful, amazing people, and I think that they have they know that we were doing our best. And I think that's that's one thing that happens with kids a lot is they know their parents are having such a hard time that they don't want to pile on any more needs. And so – Thankfully, our kids know now that we were doing our best, but that we did make some mistakes and that they needed a lot more support than what they had. I wish we'd prioritize them more from the beginning. I wish we'd been more proactive to make sure there was enough support in place for them.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that though. I think that's, wow. and I think that's such a powerful word for people that are, you know, that are in it now and are, and are working through those issues. And I would, I would also throw in that, um, Given space for grief and loss, yes, and all of that is so huge. And and yes. I think I think sometimes we're so we're so caught up and captivated in the in, in the in the trauma conversation and and about the you know about the need for attachment and and the results of trauma that we we fail to recognize some things that are just plain old grief and loss and yeah. and it's. You know, and, and I, like, I have a very tangible memory of sitting down with one of our kids in, you know, in the, in the aftermath of one of our adoptions and like the two of us just weeping. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, he, he confessed and said, like, I, I miss our old life. Yes. You know, and, and just to be able to kind of sit in that some and to say, you know, I miss it too. Yeah, like that, and that doesn't that doesn't say anything negative about you know about about where we are or who we are today, but I think to like wall that off and not you know and not go there that that there are a lot of families that are that are kind of experiencing some of those you know pent up emotions and unsaid things that um, it, it's hard and God but but yeah God brings incredible you know incredible beauty out of that and so I I really I thank you because because I think that you have um, you've really put out an honest book and, and you've, and you've, and you really led out into an honest conversation. And so one, one adoptive parent to another, um, it, it's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's a book that I cannot recommend highly enough. Mm. And, uh, just thanks for, thanks for coming in and, and, you know, being a part of this today. We're, we're, you know, incredibly privileged.
2: Well, thank um, you. This has been, um, it's, you can imagine what an honor it is to have written this book and what a responsibility it is. You know, I want to carry forward my understanding of Dr. Purvis's work and just encourage other Mm -hmm. parents and help us all to press on. You know, this is a, this is a lifetime journey for Mm
0: -hmm. sure. Absolutely. Well, and I think you've done great honor to that work. So thanks.
1: Yeah. And, and to kind of piggyback on that, um, not so much the adoptive parent to adoptive parent conversation, cause I can't do that, but <laughs> with the, uh, idea of, you know, just really carrying on the legacy of, of Dr. Purvis and the TBRI, um, training the principles, just the amazing work that she was able to do in her time here on earth. And, and, you know, you, you talked earlier about learning and being able to go to those and, and get the privilege of going to TCU and learning those principles to help you really when you were just going that period that you just talked about right I mean a lot of that time to just go please Lord give us something Mm -hmm. and so with that what were just a few of the principles maybe maybe not a few maybe one or two of the principles that were like that you really needed at the time and and what were really the difficult cycles, habits to break as a, as a parent that those principles taught you to, to be able to do?
2: Well, for sure, one of the hardest things for me to break was um, seeing my children's behaviors as choices that they were making, mm. you know, and realizing that a lot of times they, they were actually doing their best. It didn't look like it. It didn't feel like it. But they were often so flooded with all of the dysregulation in their brains mm-hmm. that it be you know it becomes a not that they won't do what we need them to do, but that they can't and I think it it helped me to see my children with more um, compassionate eyes to not uh, be so quick to assume that they don't want to do what I want them to do. You know, and so I think that helped me a lot. Um, Probably one of the best principles for me, and I mentioned earlier, is really trying to ask my children, tell me what you need. Mm -hmm. You know, Karen used to say it in this beautiful way, you know, her accent, she'd say, tell me what you need and I'll move heaven and earth to meet that need. But I'll tell you that question, if a child can calm enough to answer that question, it's just so powerful, you know? So I think that was one of the more important things. Um, Gosh, learning about sensory things from her. I had no idea about sensory and how much um, one of my children, I thought for sure had a really significant attachment problem because of resistance to touch and affection and everything. And it, it opened my eyes to consider the fact that, Oh, actually maybe there's a sensory issue here, which turned out, to be the case. So, I mean, I could go on, on and on. I think learning to use scripts mm-hmm. such an efficient way to parent kids, you know, using really simple, short phrases that the children understand and know what they mean. So, all of those things.
0: So, Lisa, I want to duck in and, and just kind of one specific thing that I, that I love that you really, you know, kind of dig into in the book. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll kind of approach it maybe from a little more of a clinical way of saying it. But you talk about like adult attachment styles, you talk about our attachment styles as parents and how, how that influences and like how, how much of a, of a powerful thing was that to, to realize that it's not just about, it's not just about our kids and it's not just about the way that they attach, but it's, it's our expectation and, and what we're craving and what we're, you know, the way that we think is, is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, like, was that a, you know, like, what, talk a little bit about the journey of kind of discovering that and, and maybe when the light bulb went on and, and, and ways that you've, you know, you found to, to be aware of that personally.
2: Well, I'll be honest. When I first started hearing a lot of talk about how we bring our attachment styles and our, our stuff into the relationship and we share responsibility, I was like, are you kidding me? I am already feeling like a horrible <laughs> horrible mother.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I cannot handle anything and now you're telling me maybe it's all my fault. I mean,
0: thank you. you know, thank, thank you. For thank you for, right. No, it's you're like you're dead on. That is yeah. that is so true.
2: I just felt like someone was kicking me when I was already down, you know. <laughs> but then once I began to hear about it from a more compassionate perspective, Mm-hmm. you know, where I didn't feel like someone was pointing fingers at me, but someone was saying, wow, you know, we can, we can actually learn some things about ourselves that will help us meet our kids needs. Yep. Better. Then I was able to have some compassion for myself and really start exploring, you know, uh, reading, um, what's the book I'm trying to think of parenting from the inside out mm-hmm. was helpful, you know, yep. like, what is it? Why do I feel this when this happens? Yeah. We can explore back. We have to be curious about ourselves too, you know? <laughs> but yes, it's everything.
0: Like I just I just wanted to get that out on the table because I think it's so important for our listeners to hear that and, and that sometimes we, you know, when we get into this and we're so focused on our kids, they're you know, this this journey sort of it like it it stirs stuff up in us. It it brings you know, I, I told you know I tell the story often with with Russell Moore that when Russ and I were teaching together I was kind of having a whiny, you know, time in in moving toward our adoption, and and I made, you know, I made the comment at some point. He asked how I was doing, and I said, you know, I'm terrible. I don't think I can do this. And this was like home study stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, and and he he kind of backed me up in a corner and kind of put his finger in my face a little bit and said, you know, you're going to learn things about about God through this process that you would have no other way of knowing. And, and, and what he didn't go on to say at that point, and I don't think he do it at that time, maybe as much either is a lot of the ways that you figure out about a lot of things you figure out about guys is, is figuring out how you're not like him, and, and about how we're not that perfect parent. And we're, you know, we don't have, um, you know, that perspective. And I, and I think, um, I just, I just love the way you deal with that in, in mm-hmm. the book and, and kind of talk through that. And, and I think it's just a really, it's a really healthy way to approach something that for a lot of us, honestly, is a really uncomfortable conversation.
2: Well, I remember when we talked about putting that chapter in the book and I was like, okay, the only way I can do it is if we do it with a ton of compassion, because I know what this brought up in me and it was judgment and failure. So, so I think we, I think we handle it really beautifully. And of course we're just touching on it. It's one chapter, but I think it will hopefully help other parents just begin to explore and think about it.
0: Well, from some of the rest of us out here, thank you, because was, that, was, uh, that, was, that was very definitely well handled, and, and something I really, you know, I'm excited for our, our listeners to, to jump in and to, you know, to see in the book if they haven't already picked up a copy. Great.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and I think to just, just to take that a little bit further, you know, you talk about that in uh, that attachments and all that that you guys just discussed, but really they're beyond that it goes deeper too. A lot of times parents, you know, struggle really the feelings of guilt, shame, mm-hmm. because their adoption experiences are hard, you know, and they, as you talked about that fairy tale earlier, I remember earlier in this season we had Karen Springs and she wrote the book Adoption Through the Rearview Mirror about, you know, how it's, it's, you know, beyond the happily ever after. Right. And, but you don't hear that story know you didn't a lot of times beforehand. And as you said, you started writing about it, you got floods of information, but mm-hmm. What would you say if people haven't read the book? If people haven't read your blog, what would you say right now? You, not what would you say? You have the opportunity to talk with those people right now who feel that shame and guilt and just saying, you know what? This isn't what we imagined. This isn't that fairy tale that we heard about. Um, and what would you say to them who are struggling and really feeling defeated and alone in their adoption? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, first of all, right there, you are not alone. I work with so many families and parents who are experiencing this, where they're, they're giving it their all, and their all does not seem to be enough, you know? And I think what we have to fight back against is this shame that comes up in so many of us. And I very quickly went to shame, because shame tends to um, cause us to withdraw, and leads to isolation, and it can lead us down some really dark roads with our own mental health, with depression, with all kinds of things. Marriages fall apart, you know, um, and sometimes it can even get dangerous. If families will not reach out for help, if they will not admit how deep the struggle is, it can become really harmful for everybody. So even if a parent doesn't know someone in their real life, in their community, who they can be really honest with, You need to find somebody because, and there are Facebook communities. I even have a small membership group just for moms where we get real with each other. And, but you've got to have at least one person who you can be honest with, who can be your safe person so that when you feel like you are losing it and you don't know if you can go on, they will tell you, remember, remember why you did this. Remember who God says you are. Remember who God says your child is. You know, we need people who will point us back to Jesus because it's easy to find communities where the people will tear their children down and kind of band together against how rotten their kids are. That will not help. It will not help. We need to be surround ourselves with people who are going to call us up, who are going to be like, yeah, this is so hard. And God is here. He has not left you. He's not left your children. And I can remember one night Russ and I literally lying in bed, holding hands and crying, and just I just kept saying, "Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever." Over mm-hmm. and over, like we need people to remind us of that and that we're we are laying down our lives. And the people who say things like, um, "Are you sure you heard God?" Oh my word! I mean, I've had I had a pastor's wife mm-hmm. tell me they were adopting from foster care. And someone said, you know, if it's this hard, maybe you weren't supposed to do this. Mm-hmm. And I told her, you need to tell that person to read the Bible mm. because think about, I think about the apostle Paul being shipwrecked. <laughs> That's the one that every time comes to my mind, you know, like, I'm pretty sure he was right. doing all them to do. And it looked literally like a shipwreck, you know,
0: right?
2: So we need to encourage one another
0: Yeah,
2: and, and it won't always be this way. You know, it's, It won't always stay the same.
1: I I think the words you were looking for were get behind me, Satan. Yeah, there we go. So, (laughs) right. right. Absolutely. You know, it's like those are, and that it's, it's so common. I think in a lot of times we, we say, we believe what's in the word. But when things get hard, you really wonder whether people believe what they say they believe, you know, because it's all throughout scripture, as you said, Paul. I mean, a lot of the problem is people don't read those parts. They stay away Mm -hmm. from them because sermons don't get preached about those parts, you know, And, and that is, I think it's a detriment to all of us. And I think what you talked about there is so critical. One of the things you said there is to have that person who you can not only take refuge in, you know, with that person in Mm -hmm. the Lord, but they will speak truth in your life and remind you of the truth and not all this other junk that is out there. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's beautiful. Love it.
0: That's incredible. Well, so Lisa, if you were to, if you were to kind of boil it all down and say like, what's the, What's the one most important thing that, that you think you have learned as an adopted hmm. parent?
2: Hmm. Well, I would say this has been an incredibly humbling experience and hmm. the most, the deepest growth for me that I could ever imagine. But probably the thing I've learned is that at the end of the day, my goal, my aim is to trust and obey the Lord. Mm. And it is actually not my job to heal my children.
0: Mm. My
2: job is to serve and love to the very best of my ability and trust the great healer to do all that I can't do because I can't, I'm, I'm very flawed and very human. And so I, I just have to cast myself on the Lord a lot, mm. even now. I mean, yes, I sure. wrote this book, but I am still <laughs> in the thick of it. You know, I'm still parenting middle sure. schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll take you to your knees.
1: <laughs> that will definitely awesome. bring you to your knees. Yeah. I can relate. Yes. Um, so wow. Yeah. So you mentioned that book that you just held up, which we know yes. about, we've talked about, but, uh, what, what, what are, what's something you else you've read, watched or listened to recently that has impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence?
2: Well, a book I read um not too long ago that I found really interesting and really helpful was Beyond Behaviors by mm-hmm. Mona Delahook. Mm-hmm. Really, really interesting about the brain and behaviors. And I found that book to be really encouraging. It's not a spiritual book in any way, but I it it just gave me some more information that I found helpful. The other book that I received recently that is just wonderful is a book actually for children, but it's great for parents called Riley, the brave by Mm Jessica Jessica Sinarski. It is so, so good because it's intended. What it does is it talks about little Riley who has, has had very hard things happen. They never say what, and how he um, has developed these behaviors to protect himself. And those behaviors were, made him brave. Like he could be like a tiger and he could be like a turtle. And, and then some safe adults or safe critters come into his life. And the brave thing he has to learn to do is to trust them. So it's really beautiful. I've been talking about it a lot and telling people to buy it because I think it's so great. <laughs>
1: Well, now you've told some more people to buy it. Yeah, so I'll have good. to go check that out too. It's a yeah. book I might be able to actually read. So yeah, it's got um, great
0: illustrations. <laughs> it's
2: very colorful.
0: There's probably not an audiobook version. Yeah, it, I know. So you're I'm have to, you're have to, yeah.
2: There's a whole section in the back for the adults, but really every teacher, I I just think it's a fantastic resource.
1: Well, that's fantastic. Well, Rick, maybe you can buy it and you can read it to me
0: over the phone. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. That's right. On our next episode. I would love me that. Reading, me reading the, the children's book to phil That'd be great.
1: Um, that might be the most downloaded. Uh, so <laughs> the last question we uh, we ask our guest is, is when the, I think I may know the answer, but it may be something that surprises us. What person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Well,
2: clearly, Dr. Purvis, I mean, she changed so many things she taught me so much and the institute continues to just have such an amazing influence and is so helpful for all of us the other person i would say is um deborah gray she -hmm. wrote attaching and adoption and a number of other books and we had the great privilege of her being our family's therapist for a period of time and she was the a very powerful force for healing in all of our lives
1: well Lisa, thank you so much. Uh, it's been such a, a pleasure and an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I'm very humbled by your life, by, you, you know, just listening to the book and hearing your, you know, just what God has done in and through you, through over this last, you know, several years. And I I have no doubt, as you said, you're still in the thick of it. And I I look forward to meeting you someday in person, you know, when all this COVID stuff is gone, and we can actually go and meet people in person again. Um, Very much look forward to that. And uh, yes, just thanks again for being a part of this.
2: Well, thank Thank you you, so
1: much.
2: Yeah, it's been it's been an honor. I love I could talk about this all day long. So (laughs) thank you for having me.
1: Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks again, Lisa. Such a great interview. I absolutely loved it. Um, I know Rick. I know you did as well. Just just listening to you throughout the interview, let alone even before the interview, I had no doubt you were going to love it. And then, to, you know, boy, did she deliver, uh, and then some. So, talk to me, man. What'd you think?
0: Man, I, you know, I, I just think, um, and I, I didn't, I didn't say this uh, to her, but I, I think she does such a great job of putting the cookies on the bottom shelf for parents. Mm. Um, not to say that it's a simple book, but I think it's so accessible and, you know, have heard so many times people that have, you know, have engaged, um, TBRI and, and even have done training and then the scary moment when you begin to try to figure out how to like apply that in your own family, what do you do when it doesn't look like, you know, kind of the theory in the book and, and she, she just really cuts through that, and and I think, um, you know, obviously great expert pieces of the book from you know from Dr. Purvis, and 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 we're all thankful for that. But but I think the real gold, honestly, in this book is is then the the stories and the and the practical application, and uh, just you know, there are there are people that are blessed to have great pre-adoptive and pre-foster care education and to be ready to, you know, engage um, their kids uh, in the hard things and and from the past. And and there are some folks that kind of, you know, find their way into this and they really haven't been prepared very well. Um, And this is a book that's great for both of them. And and so I just, I think, you know, just love Lisa, her humility, her, the way that she approaches this, And, and, and really, you know, her heart, I, I think one of the things to, to take away is, um, to not be caught up in, in like trying to manage our kids' behavior,
2: Hmm.
0: that that's, that's not our job and, 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 and not the outcome that we, you know, that we really truly desire. And so anyway, big fan. And I would, I would encourage, um, you know, anybody that's out there, um, even if, if your role is more you know serving in uh in in the lives of of you know vulnerable children uh this is a book there's something in it for you so Absolutely. Go grab a coffee.
1: I agree, and we are going to keep it short this this uh, commentary time because the, the interview did go a bit longer, but we wanted you to have that goodness from Lisa uh, rather than us, you know, kind of ruin it afterwards. You know, you know. I mean, uh-huh. let's be honest. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I, I do agree. I mean, the one of the things that really sticks out to me, and every time I hear it, and I I agree more and more. The more I my kids get older and older, is you can't make anyone do anything. And you can't change anyone's yep. behavior. You know, that's the, yep. the Holy Spirit's job yep. in the heart of our children, our hearts of our children, the hearts of our friends, hearts of others. And so I just want to encourage you with that. Hopefully that word will, will encourage you and not frustrate you and not make you feel helpless. It's not helpless at all. You can do what you yep. can encourage. You can love. You can. You can, you know, discipline if that's your role as a parent. But do it in a way out of love, knowing that it's not your job to change the person. Mm -hmm. It's your job to love really, really well. And God will mold them and shape them into the person that he wants them to be. So that's my encouragement to you right now. That's my takeaway from this time. And, uh, the, you know, be a detective. Don't, uh, don't think you know all the answers. That's the other thing that really stuck out to me. So with that, folks, you know, I just want to encourage you to take everything that you learned uh, in this episode, everything that you're learning from uh, the different resources we're able to bring to you on this show. And I encourage you strongly to go grab the book, The Connected Parent, and you use it to help you to, to know how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great
0: week.